This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 7 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash genre. The audio version is at anchor.fm slash genre from where it is distributed everywhere. And in both of those locations, you can donate any amount you want monthly. My public hub is youtube.com slash nickdimatteo. And my website is nickdomadio.com, where you can get this podcast, my music, voiceovers, acting, a whole bunch of other things, graphic arts. And last but uh, not least, because I say it every time, please listen to and support my band, Rec, at recarea.bandcamp.com. Welcome. I'm very excited for this episode. It is the 10th edition of the Death is Dumb series, Death is Dumb, Volume 10, and it's called The 27 Club, far bigger than the Holy Trinity. So if you know anything about the 27 Club, you know probably what I mean by the Holy Trinity. But let me, let me get, you know, let me just start it right from the top, because, yeah. And the, so the 27 Club is an informal club of famous people who've died at the age of 27. And it's most associated with musicians. Uh, although there are lists of other artists, actors, writers, and all of that who also died at the age of 27, uh, at least one of whom I will mention. But I am going to focus, uh, as this is a music podcast, on the musicians. And, you know, I say it's an informal club because this is not a club anybody created, of course. And it's uh, kind of a an ex post facto, like a retroactive thing. And again, if you know anything about this, you you know that 
the reason why this exists at all is because of what I've called the Holy Trinity, which is uh, Hendrix, Joplin, Morrison, right? Between uh, 70 and 71, all three of them died at the age of 27. Now, I'm, I'm going to add to that a guy named Brian Jones, who was in a you know, founding member of the Rolling Stones, who died in 1969 at the age of 27. He is not always usually uh, lumped in with that Holy Trinity because uh, it wasn't quite as famous or for whatever other reason. Uh, their, their tragic deaths coming so quickly, one after another. So Brian Jones in 1969... Uh, drowned in a pool, I believe, and it was likely precipitated by drug and alcohol use. Uh, Jimi Hendrix aspirated on his own vomit when he was out because of barbiturates. Janis Joplin uh, was a heroin overdose. And Jim Morrison, no autopsy was done. It was listed as heart failure. And I'm doing my quotes here for those of you just listening. Also, for those of you just listening, uh, chime in and let me know what you think of the different uh, angles and sets and things uh, that I'm doing, Which by which I mean go to the video version and take a look. As if you're, you've just been a listener, go ahead to youtube.com slash Nick and you can see all of the stuff that I'm doing, which can be fun. Uh, and yes, heart failure, Jim Morrison, but Why? Why did his heart failure? There's an underlying reason. They think it might have been heroin. No one is quite sure. And uh, that was 69, 70, 71, right? And those latter three are the ones that I associated with this phenomenon growing up. It's what everyone heard growing up. And that's how it stayed until a couple of other key deaths. And I'm going to get to those. I'm going to do some things chronologically. But, uh, you know, first I'm going to mention some global things, some general things about this phenomenon. And one is this. If you take a look online, various sources, just the list of musicians alone, anyone associated with music, but particularly music performers, music creators, has nearly 60 people on it. So, yeah, far bigger than you might think. And certainly bigger than the, 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 the Holy Trinity, the three that uh, people associate with or any subsequent ones that you may be thinking of right now and have already thought of, whom I will mention soon. 60 over the course of, I don't know, 140 years or so. Now, I would like to know, and I don't know if anyone's done this study, if there is some other age at which masses of uh, famous people or musicians in particular have died, you know, let's say 67 or whatever it is, that far eclipses this, you know, nearly 60 people who died at the age of 27. Is there some other number? I'm guessing it's higher. It's much, much higher. Uh, And it's coincidental, of course, because these, you know, it's just how it goes. But let's say 83. I don't know. If anybody knows that or can do a study of that, you'd be insane to do it yourself unless you were getting funded. And hello, I would do it if I was getting funded, and please keep that in mind. But uh, that would be an interesting thing to find out because, you know, yes, in some ways, the 27 uh, death is more tragic because it's younger, or of course, anything younger than that or anywhere around that age. But all, all deaths in some way are tragic, especially uh, when they're unexpected. Now... The first 
No, and I'm not going to mention all, I think there were 57 people, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, just musicians who have died, mostly men, but some women. And I'll go over some other demographic stuff later. I don't want to mention all of them. Some of them I'd never heard of and was glad to learn about, you know. But I'm going to pick some, just some key ones here. And the first one is this guy named Alexander Levy, who died in 1892 as a Brazilian composer, pianist, conductor. He's the first known music artist to have died at the age of 27. Now, that could mean, again, I'm sure there were plenty of music people who died pre-1892 at the age of 27, but as far as recorded deaths in you know, the, the era when this was being recorded and in the countries in which deaths were being recorded, blah, 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 all these caveats, uh, I'm sure, especially in Europe and in several other, uh, you know, areas around the world, you could go back hundreds of years and have enough records to get a sense of this. But this guy, Alexander Levy, was the first known musician to have died at the age of 27. Then, you know, a few decades Bunch of other people, again, hadn't really heard of them or they're, you know, not, you know, germane to this conversation. But damn, Robert Johnson, the Titanic blues man, died at the age of 27 in 1938. Which, two interesting things. One, that's freaking young. And I mean, yeah, of course, that's why we're talking about this. But you think of Robert Johnson, you think of a grizzled blues man, you know, and I guess that's the stereotype and when you listen to the to the records, you hear just a lot of, you know, wisdom and lived-in experience. And, and of course, you know, the experiences he had. 27, though, I just had no idea, right? And the second interesting thing is he was actually then born two years after my grandmother was born, you know, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, she was born in 1909. Then... Uh, that's another one on this list, Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat, who is best known as an artist, a visual artist, but he had a band called Gray. So, uh, because he was multi-talented and had a band, put him on the list and he died in 1988 at the age of 27. Hmm. Okay. Now, a lot of years passed between them. You had the Brian Jones and the Holy Trinity. Uh, between Robert Johnson and Basquiat. You had a ton of other people, again, whose names uh, I won't mention. There there was not a prevalence in any one kind of music. You might think, oh, rock and roll, or oh, punk, or metal, or uh, later on we'll talk about hip-hop, or there was blues, there's jazz, there's doo-wop, there's, there's classical, there's, there's, it all runs the range, country. There wasn't one kind of music, which to me goes towards some things I've said in other Death is Dumb episodes, which is that just because a type of music seems like it would be more angsty or more depressing or harder or whatever else you want to say about it doesn't mean that the people making it are all depressed drug addicts who are going to kill themselves. That's just a, a myth. And I think that's borne out by this list here because it's spread out over all kinds of music, pop music, like, you know, everything, um, Latin music, all of it, right? So you have this range of years 
in which I'm not going over all the people who died in there. During that time, from like 71 on, again, it was that those three famous, you know, Hendricks, Joplin, and Morrison. And then anyone else who died at the age of 27, they weren't really lumped in there. They weren't mentioned, et cetera, et cetera. They might not have had that level of fame, whatever you want to call it. And then what happened? If you know what I'm getting at, you've been waiting for me to say this. And that is, in 1994, Kurt Cobain died at the age of 27. And I mentioned this in the Nirvana episode, but I remember hearing about it on WDRE, the radio station, my favorite station out of Philly, which is no longer in existence. It was the alt-rock station that, that was, just had an eclectic mix, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how I found out. And I found out of the uh, attempted or almost death of Kurt Cobain a little while before then as well. And so it just came as almost a double shock because he thought, oh, he, he dodged a bullet, uh, no pun intended, and then didn't. And that's very sad. But my first thought was the tragedy and the shock and, you know, the places Nirvana was going to go, which then, of course, the, the Foo Fighters took a lot of that mantle on another death is dumb there recently. But the second thing I remember thinking is, holy shit, 27. And I wasn't the only one. When Kurt Cobain died, the interest in the 27 club went up and people started talking about it again. That's probably when lists started to be compiled. That's around when things like that might've started to be put on the internet, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a big one, right? And then that same year, uh, Kristen Pfaff, I believe, was the bass player of Hole, uh, Courtney Love's band, also died. So you had two people associated with Courtney Love uh, dying in the same year at the age of 27. Absolutely, you know, I forget, correlation, causation, whatever. It has nothing to do with Courtney Love. It's just, it's just sad for her that she had to endure that twice in one year. Uh, now... Starting in the mid-90s, all of a sudden, you see a lot of hip-hop people dying at the age of 27. And this brings up two points, right? So the first point is the point I made before, which is do not let this make you think that hip-hop has a prevalence of anything more than in any other type of music, whether it's uh, violence or violent lyrics or uh, drugs or depressed people or people killing themselves or dying horrible deaths or whatever it is. No. Disabuse yourself of that notion, number one. Number two, and this I think is more important, is that there are way too many African-American people on this list of, you know, 60-odd uh, people who died, music people who died at the age of 27. They're almost all men. I think it was one or two women. Uh, 16 out of 57. And so I did the math and also read up, etc. The United States population is made up of 13.6 African American people. 13. Point, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. 13.6% of the US population is African American people, right? This list 28.1% are African-Americans. And that's more than double 
what the what the rate, you know, as far as numbers go, should be. Not that any of this should happen, but you know what I'm saying. And that is not an uncommon thing when you are looking at demographic numbers, whether it has to do with prisons or uh, failures in school and all of that. And that has to do, to me, with the failure of this country and of the system to adequately support people who have been oppressed for hundreds of years. And the pressure that any, really any artist has to go through to make a living is ridiculous. Uh, A friend of mine and I uh, were talking about the UBI, the Universal Basic Income, which I mentioned in a way in the episode of The Hives last season and how Sweden, you know, grants that to some artists, et cetera. And there are other countries that do that. We don't do that. Do we do that for anybody, really? I mean, I guess you could say, you know, Social Security is an attempt at that or uh, Medicaid or, or not Medicaid, I'm sorry, or, you know, things like workers' comp or unemployment or, you know, anything else that any uh, government assistance, but that's all seen as handouts and not just as the right to live, right? So add to that pressure you being uh, a person of color and all of the trials that any person of color has to go through in this country, but now you're a musician, so you're dealing with the artist angst and trying to make a living, and then you're dealing with the racism and discrimination and all of that, and whatever else went on in your personal life, you know, outside of being a musician, how you were treated and all of that, you can imagine why the pressures of that would, A, get to any musician, and whether you're famous or and have made it, and there's a pressure there, or have been struggling your whole life and never quite got the success you wanted, and there's a different kind of pressure there, they can both cause anxiety, depression, etc., and can lead to self-medication, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Not too much later, actually. I'm almost at the end of this list. And that, again, is doubly and triply so for people whose entire lives feel that way, just struggle to live. So it makes a terrible kind of sense that there's a larger percentage of African-American people. And if you include the people of color, even more so, I want to say it's upwards of maybe half of the list, you know? Um, So I just thought that was worth mentioning because I, you know, see it, it pops out again and again across uh, different subjects in this country of those uh, 16 African-American people who died at the age of 27, the musicians, again, ran the range of music. Blues artists, jazz, doo-wop, some rock, hip-hop. No one particular style, right? So again, don't associate negativity with any particular style of music. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, if you've uh, seen my recent podcast and you heard me talk about Ozzy, and Ozzy's new album, you'll you'll see a correlation there. Anyway, so then Kurt Cobain. And then people kind of, you know, made lists, whatever, stopped talking about the 27 Club, or maybe started looking for other people more so than they had pre-Kurt Cobain. But nothing else jumped out until who? And again, if you know anything about this club, you were probably waiting for me to say this too, 17 years after... Kurt Cobain died, Amy Winehouse dies at the age of 27 in 2011. 
And again, the interest skyrockets. And I believe that, I don't know when the term 27 Club was coined and became like a thing in the zeitgeist, but I feel like if it had been coined prior, sure, but it was solidified just a thousand percent, one hundred percent when Amy Winehouse died. And then of course, over the next, you know, decade or so, more people died at the age of 27. And I say people in general, not just musicians, because I want to mention one more, and that is in 2016, uh, Anton Yelchin, the actor who played uh, Chekhov in the new Star Trek movies and had so, so many other excellent roles for such a young actor, died at the age of 27, I think crushed by his SUV, uh, his residence or something like that. And just surprising and shocking and tragic and, and, and unnecessary and very sad. For so many reasons, you know, which leads to the next part of this podcast, uh, and that is, are are these deaths the most tragic of any deaths? And again, let's caveats, right? Let's let's qualify and say musicians, because we're talking about musicians and uh, musicians that are who are well known because. I'm sure there are plenty of complete unknown musicians who've died at the age of 20, 27. Uh, are these the most tragic of any music deaths? No. On the whole, no. On the whole, I will say some yes, some no, based on how the deaths were. I will say, yeah, because all the all of them are tragic, but dying at one age as opposed to another doesn't to me make it more tragic and and yes and i know what you're thinking cuz i hear you out there if you die younger then by nature it's more tragic and that is generally true i am going to say that because i believe that everyone should live the longest and fullest life they possibly can you know because no matter how long life is it's short so why make it shorter right for so many reasons and and so yes sure but we've had you know deaths of people much older than that twice as old as that or or more like prince like david bowie like tom petty who were quite a bit older than 27 whose deaths are still incredibly tragic that's my take on that is that we add this number uh this this club name to the 27 people people died at 27 and it makes it seem like there's there's more tragedy here. It also makes it seem like there's more significance to it. And here's where I come down on this. So the question that I pose, I think in the text, welcome to check it. And that is, is there any uh, significance to the 27 Club over and above anything else. And my answer, again, you're going to hate me for this, is no and yes. All right, so no, because not one of these people chose to die at 27 because it was 27. Some chose to die if there was a suicide involved, sure. But it was there wasn't something in their head that said, I'm go- oh, it's, oh, I'm 27. Right, I'm going to kill myself. Or if there was, we don't know about it. And so it's really not significant. And there's no mysticism to it. There is no conspiracy. You know, sure, 
some people say Brian Jones was murdered or Jim Morrison was murdered or whatever else, or Jim Morrison's still alive or whatever, whatever people are saying or have said, all of that is to me crap. There has never been any evidence and I'm not really honestly looking for it because I don't care because I think that the stories themselves are interesting enough instead of having to make up stories, right? So no, I don't think there's actual significance to this other than an interesting way to group people and some sense of coincidence. But again, go ahead and out there and look how many people, how many musicians have died at the age of 28 or 26 or 22. I don't know. Do any come close to that? Because to me, even if it's not 57, if it's 48, then it kind of diminishes the idea that 27 has any significance whatsoever. But I will say on the yes side that there is significance because it shows how mental illness, depression, anxiety, whatever other forms of, of emotional and mental illness, coupled with societal neglect or neglect from loved ones or people around you or abuse people around you, whether it's uh, family or industry people, or however you want to say it. And the pressures of, again, success and trying to repeat that success and maintain that success. We see how it killed Elvis, etc. cetera. Uh, and he's on my mind because of that freaking movie. Uh, or the pressures, again, of failure, which in some ways can, for some people, it can be easier because they're afraid of success. And I understand that feeling, but, but failure in terms of what's your self-worth? Do you deserve to do the music you do and have, them, have this music be loved by people in the world if you haven't achieved some level of success that you feel is success? You know, and that's measured differently by everyone as it you know, should be. And to me, success has more to do with uh, doing something well and feeling good about it and putting it out into the world and actually not quitting than it does about a uh, level of money or fame, but you feel it anyway. And that, and that failure sent uh, pressures of success or failure. They're both real things. And to me, not enough was done to protect any of these people. And even though more is done now, and especially since the pandemic, more people have been talking about mental illness and anxiety and depression and ways to help with that, there's still really not enough done. And so people to this day, and I'm sure until, you know, thousands of years from now and and prior, self-medicate with drugs and alcohol and, and many other, you know, things. And the thing is this, no one substance is good or bad. They are all neutral in, in my mind. As a substance, alcohol is not evil. Drugs of any kind are not evil. If they are administered against someone's will, it's not the drug that's evil, it's the person who's doing an evil act. If that person uh, themselves chooses, whether consciously or subconsciously, to overdo any of those substances, again, it's not the substance that's bad, it's how the substance is being used that's a bad thing. So people who are either cannot afford healthcare or prescription drugs, or even let's, let's go beyond that and say therapy treatment. And I think everyone should see a therapist the way everyone sees a regular doctor. Because even if you don't think 
you know, you're depressed or anxious. Everybody has issues and it's worth sorting them out because A, it helps your mental and emotional health, but mental and emotional health affect your physical health too. It's connected, you know. Believe me, I felt it. And so those self-medicating substances get demonized over and above prescription drugs. When, let, you know, let's face it, and we know this in the modern culture, especially in the last 10 years, things like oxy and fentanyl can be abused as badly as any uh, street substance or over-the-counter substance or wherever you get it in a bar, you get it in a, you know, a weed, weed store, which to me, that's the least, honestly. <laughs> you know, name on one hand the number of people who've died of you know, weed overdose or, or anything like that, or weed-related anything. But other drugs, heroin especially, uh, they are they are seen, uh, people who die from that are seen as lesser in some ways than people who die like Prince, like Tom Petty, like Michael Jackson of fentanyl or oxy or, or one of those prescription drugs because there was a doctor administering it and and they are prescriptions. So there's sanctions and all of this, whether or not they work better or do what they're supposed to do or don't have other side effects the way non-prescription drugs have side effects. And the sadness there is in most ca- these cases, it was either the person just struggling to try to just survive and live and feel good or a doctor overdoing their uh, power and their expertise, quote unquote, and abusing it to the, you know, the result of killing that person. So I find that it's worth talking about the 27 Club just in the context of that, because depression peaks, it often peaks uh, in the 20s, age 18 to 29. And I'll, I'll give you a little history and not much because, you know, public forum, but I'll give you some history. And that is, I have suffered on some level from anxiety and depression my whole life. And it hit me the hardest when I was, oh, holy crap, when I was 27. That is freaking weird. I I just realized that. You say, so yeah, because I'm pinpointing the year and the time of that year, it was before my birthday, because my birthday is near the end of the year, I was 27 when my brain blew open and I just sank into depression and anxiety. And that's when I started therapy. I found, I eventually found the medication and all of that. And I've kind of been off and on all those things my whole life. And I've never been that bad again. But I've struggled with it here and there based on just internal workings and life circumstances, you know. And and so I can attest that that 18 to 29, right. And I've heard that before where your brain it gets to a certain developmental stage and your emotions and then that place in your life where you've finished school and are trying to make your way in the world and figure out what the hell that even means and so many other pressures and things and people who have children uh, at that younger age and are struggling to to deal with both kids and a career or or not having a career or whatever the situation might be, but really also biochemically I think all these factors contribute to the fact that that's the the peak of depression and anxiety is 18 to 29. So I think there is a significance there. And why aren't we 
doing preventive medicine rather than, you know, dealing with the fallout. You can say that about almost any kind of illness in this country, unless you're uh, a, a rich person who also takes very good care of themselves and has access to every single thing and can be so preventive that things don't hit you the way they hit other people. Uh, you, it, it's rare that our healthcare system promotes, you know, in name only, they'll promote prevention, but in terms of the ability to do it, whether it's money or access, doesn't happen. And so you get tremendous more amounts of, of depression, anxiety, and deaths and suicides and, and dr- you know, drug abuse and all of that stuff. But that makes, to me, older deaths tragic in a different way, right? Because you people get past that, that part of life when depression and anxiety peak and when life is, you're adjusting, life is hard. It doesn't mean life is not hard throughout the rest of life for various different reasons. Yes. But just in terms of demographics and on the whole. So you feel like, oh, you know, Lane Staley and Chris Cornell. And, you know, I'll even throw Robin Williams in there. Chester Bennington passed through the difficult periods of their lives and you want to be like, oh, they're going to, you know, they're turning into elder, elder statesmen or they're already elder statesmen and they're, they're, you know, finding places in their lives that are more comfortable and they're more comfortable with themselves. And you just want to feel that sense of, phew, relief, you know, that's, that they're past that. And then, bam, you know, right in the face, right? You you had Staley in his 30s and, and Cornell, I think, was in his early 50s or late 40s. I cannot remember exactly. And I did do a Death is Dumb on that. Uh, Robin Williams in his early 60s, you know, Chester Bennington, early 40s. And it it gets you because these are people who also, in many ways, talked about their struggle and went through periods of recovery and all of that, uh, you know, or inactivity of whatever it was that was dogging them. So you had hope. And it's, yeah, it's a very common story, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, all of that. But it doesn't matter. The commonality doesn't take away from the fact that that's a different kind of tragedy and in some ways more shocking. Because even though the world was rocked when, you know, Kurt Cobain died, people knew how troubled he was and he was in the midst of those troubles. So there was maybe uh, one level of, of shock that he didn't exist in the world anymore. Uh, but then there's another level of, yeah, I understand. And with these people, some people might say, yeah, I understand, because the trajectory of depression and anxiety, like I said, it ebbs and flows in a lot of ways. And there is a second peak at the ages 45 to 64, which is a large range, but it does kind of you know, illustrate that there are other periods in life that can be difficult. But it doesn't take away from the fact that you really thought that they were out of the woods, you know, and so many of these people were out of the woods. You know, and Cornell and Robin Williams in particular are in that 45 to 64 range. So it's, I don't know. I just find it interesting to uh, put this 27 club in that context, which is it's exciting and people love numbers, especially if you're into numerology and all that stuff. And there is a an interesting grouping, let's say, but I think the significance is wildly overblown. And it doesn't mean I don't also have fun with it, or let's say some other famous person 
especially a musician dies at the age of 27, then I'm not going to be like, oh, there's another one. Sure. But some of the people who die at 27, yeah, you know, like Cobain's death hit me hard. In general, and Anton Yelchin was a little haunting, you know, it was haunting um, and sad. But in general, there were other people who died at many other ages whose deaths rocked me even more, which is kind of what the Death is Dumb series has been about anyway. You know, I've mentioned, uh, you know, uh, John Lennon, Prince, those people in particular, and uh, even um, Scott Weiland and Adam Schlesinger, you know. So I guess that, you know, the conclusion is that death is freaking dumb and all of it's tragic. You know, my parents are in their 80s. If they died now, it would be tragic. You know what? They die 10 years from now, it's going to be tragic. There's a certain level of when someone leaves this earth, it's just tragic. It's just tragic, period. And what else can you do about it? Now, let me get to the final portion of every podcast. And I'm going to admit that I completely blanked on this. I am coming up on some uh, downtime and vacation time. So I'm uh, recording some of these things all at once. And uh, my thoroughness has, has kind of lagged, let's say. But you know that at the end of every podcast or almost every episode of this, uh, barring uh, you know the interviews and such, I uh, showcase one of my songs. I will tell you, I have not chosen the song yet. I'm going to choose it after I'm done recording this and add it to the edit. So I won't be able to tell you what the name of it is. But in a sense, that's kind of appropriate because this is the first Death is Dumb episode that involves more than one person. And even though I'm only going to attack one song in the end of this episode, in a sense, this episode involves much more than one song. Because I have written songs about death my entire adult existence from when I was in my 20s straight up through till now. Three more minutes, which I think I showcased at some point, is one of those. Uh, You know, Don't Say You Don't sort of is like one of those. Uh, The Same Way, which may be the pick. I don't know. You'll get to see soon. Uh, Another one uh, that I had on a demo called Higher Ground Again. There's just, uh, even Some Things Happen, which I have certainly showcased. These have all been about death and so many of the things that I have written have either alluded to it in passing or the entire song has been about that because I think there is a significance to it. Uh, duh, I guess, duh, it would be the answer there. So I leave it to you to judge uh, and, and take a listen in a, just a few seconds to the song that I decide to pick that will, that will be about death. And uh, yeah, and uh, I will close with that and say thank you as always for listening and watching my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. And I will talk to you next week. I heard you talking. Go believe you 
Say